3: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
4: Hello and welcome to a very special bonus edition of White Wine Question Time, the podcast that would normally ask its guests three thought-provoking questions over three glasses of wine, but for many reasons, we're parking the booze and the tradition of Three Questions today for a truly special catch-up. At the beginning of Lockdown One, we made an episode of White One Question Time with Deborah James and Lauren Mann, who are just two kick-ass, fantastic, inspiring women who are living with cancer. They're also the hosts of You, Me and The Big C, an award-winning podcast which they launched alongside their friend Rachel, who sadly has since passed away, talking about what it is to live with cancer. They were both diagnosed five years ago, Lauren with breast cancer. She is now four years in having had treatment and a year shy of being told that she is officially in remission and Debs has been living with stage four bowel cancer uh, ever since then and well her experience is entirely different so what we were talking about 15 months ago I can't believe it was 15 months ago is what might this mean for the cancer community well as we come out of lockdown, and I'm scared to say that because you just don't know, do you? Uh, we're going to be able to sit down and assess the data and really drill into what it has meant. What is the collateral damage in terms of misdiagnosis or just people not getting diagnosed? Macmillan cancer say that 50,000 people right now in the UK are walking around with cancer that has gone undiagnosed Uh, what does it mean for waiting lists what has it meant to their mental health when they know that time is so precious and they've had to spend so much of the last 15 months at home locked up inside so let's dial them up i can't wait to catch up with them and please do listen through to the end of the show i'll be giving out details of how you can get involved and support stand up to cancer Deborah James and Lauren Mann from You, Me
5: <laughs> and the Big C. One of the best podcasts out there. Hi, girls. Hello, love. Hello. I can't believe 15 months on and oh. I still haven't got a working computer. <laughs> <laughs> One hour is it's
4: taken devs to get on this call. One hour, but me and Lauren have had a lovely time to catch up. We've had up, a lovely we? catch
3: up. Yeah, we've had a lovely catch up, darling. Put the world to rights.
5: In the process, I've um I've wiped my son's computer to override his passwords <laughs> to to talk to you guys.
4: Oh no, you've wiped his passwords. He's going to be fuming. Oh, gee, you will need the wee baby donkey to get you out of this <laughs> shit fit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, it's so bad, it's so bad. Do you know what, though, Deb? Last night, I listened to our last episode that we did, and it's hilarious in as much as, you know, it's me dialing you two up and we're going... It, this, remember, this is just at the beginning of, of lockdown. So, rather than speaking the studio, we're going to try to do this via technology and oh Lauren can you hear me and it was like nanas unite (laughs) and now of course 15
5: months on we're still shit at technology
4: do
5: (laughs) you know now people are going to go how on earth did you ever qualify in this so my um my postgraduate degree in teaching is in computer science. Shut up. No, I'm not even doing it. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. And on top of that, it's like I taught computer science to A-level for 14, 15 years. Uh, but my argument would say that in the last four years, and actually, I think in the last 15 months, well, it's blown anything I ever taught out the water, hasn't it? We've come on so far yes. with the technology. It's totally. Yeah. Even IT people are confused. So, <laughs> yeah, listen, yeah, clearly.
4: Just to explain to everyone, Deb was a teacher for a long, long time. You were a deputy head... Is
5: that right? Yeah, although, you know, I can't even claim to be um, a good IT teacher, clearly. And so <laughs> claiming that I was deputy head now is really embarrassing, actually. I think so. <laughs> um, but you're right, I used to be very, a very long time ago now, four years ago, in fact, which is crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Well, also, we're coming up to five years
4: for both of you since your first diagnosis. And yeah. when we spoke at the beginning of lockdown... I mean, so I know so much has happened since then. So much had happened in between the last two times we'd spoken, mm-hmm. and then again, you know, fifteen months on. Where are you
3: both? Are you okay? Mm-hmm. Give me the give me the download. I'm let you go first, Deb. You've had a lot going on, mate, cancer wise. Yeah, I'm. I'm still the person living with cancer.
5: Um, I'm very grateful. To be living, Um, you are you are living with stage four cancer. I'm living with stage four cancer, and I think people forget. People look at me on Instagram; they look at me. You know, I'm still out on the road recording. um, You know, when I don't have to rely on technology, um, Mm. doing a campaign um, called No Butts for Lorraine, so doing awareness of bowel cancer and I think people look at me and then forget suddenly the next week I'm in hospital actually having another operation Mm -hmm. because my cancer is still active and I think people forget actually that I every single day I take drugs to stay alive and i'm very grateful for that i'm very grateful for the research that goes into that and that is what keeps me alive and um, my cancer over the last 15 months is is pl- i'm plowing on but i just have options mm. and that's what you want it's hope and options we've talked about that again and again and again. Mm-hmm. speaking to you today kate um two weeks ago to the day actually i had a procedure called nano knife uh, which is a very um it's a minimally invasive operation, so that means I actually have. I can show you. This is. I think this is amazing. Actually, I, but show, show me, show me. Like, yeah, get, I'm getting my boobs out on camera. No, I'm not really. Yay! You'll see. There's nothing to see here. Like nothing. nothing. Okay, but on this side of my body uh basically they went in with five needles and hopefully fingers crossed got rid of a tumor outside wrapped around an artery outside of my liver i've got nothing to show for it apart from feeling quite tired um but i think i think technology is incredible i'm the trial data so we don't know whether it will work but my view is you've just got to kind of grab options if they they're given to you yeah
4: so when you were diagnosed
5: five years ago, that procedure wouldn't have even been a thing. No, no. and I didn't even just actually funny enough, the, the master where I had it, they brought the machine for it. Although it's been in practice for about ten years in other countries, it's only started coming into this country in the last like couple of years. But then COVID happened. Mm. And we all know the impact that COVID has had on cancer. And very sadly, because of COVID, procedures like Nano knife, which is still in very early trial phases, uh, we know haven't been able to continue under a COVID climate. So when I knew that this was active again, um, about three months ago, just at the turn, of, the turn of the new year, it wasn't an option on the table. The option was just to increase my drugs, hope for that, did and then suddenly, about four weeks ago my oncologist said oh um well, wow, we may now have another option <laughs> i was like oh, okay so um and it's because you know suddenly when the climate becomes safer to operate and to try things like this um it you know i could i could be accepted onto it so yeah so literally just had it as the world opened up i was allowed to have this operation but that shows the impact that cancer is having because of covid which you know i'm great to have those options but we know that it can work both ways right yeah. Well, that's why I
4: wanted to talk to you both today because, you know, you go, wow, look at this, right? You're having a treatment that even at the beginning of lockdown wasn't a possibility here. Yeah. And the reason it's a possibility is because we constantly fund via charities mm. research and yeah. stand up to cancer does that work. So, debs wouldn't have had that a year ago were it not for brilliant charities like stand up to cancer and all of their money gets pulled
5: into one big cancer (coughs) charity pot isn't that right have i got that right yeah it's a double-edged sword so i was one of the first people on trial drugs that are now approved on the nhs and they have been but it's a bit of a chicken and egg because you need people to trial these things to get the data to know if it works And, um, so I'm the kind of, I'm totally up for being the guinea pig. The, the negative advantage of that is that actually I'm navigating the side effects myself. Nobody can really tell me. Like, obviously I have a team of people helping me, but it's it's challenging there's nobody I can kind of call up and go oh yeah what, what was nano knife like yeah. but the, the positive is that I have options and that's all you want but the thing is the, the reason it's so important for a people to continue with research and b for people to be up for kind of being part of research is without it without all those people taking the COVID vaccines without all the people taking these trial things for mm. cancer actually progress doesn't happen so in no, 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 it might not work for me, but then it will save mm. other people having to go through it in the future. If if it's not right, does that make sense? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Because you know what? It's not just about raising money, is it? It's about
4: participating on every yeah. level, and that's what you girls have done all the way through. You've raised the conversation. You've got two big volume buttons, and you just keep turning it up, turning it up. And I applaud and love you for that because we are, we know, and we talked about this at the beginning of lockdown. So many people are going to be undiagnosed walking I mean, I think Macmillan predicted that 50,000 people in the last 15 months will be walking around with undiagnosed cancer. Yeah. And then by the time they get to see a doctor and they get a diagnosis, sadly for some of them, it will be too late. It just will.
3: And we know from the work we do, Kate, like the earlier you catch a cancer, which is why Deb and I do all the work we do, especially Deb around awareness of bowel cancer, it's so important for us to catch these cancers early because if we catch them early, they are treatable cancers. People's lives are prolonged or saved as a result of it. And the problem we have with with the COVID um, pandemic was that at the start of the pandemic, they said the NHS is under strain, but they didn't say the NHS is open if you're worried about anything. And it's mm-hmm. so important to like say like, yes, COVID is a thing, but you still need to let your GP know if there are any symptoms that you are concerned about because cancer doesn't stop because of COVID and it never has. In fact, the backlog that's gonna happen as a result of it is far greater than we could ever wanted. I, like, it's gonna take us years to get on top of that, if at all. It is.
4: It's the most horrific hangover. Isn't yeah, it? It, it really is. is. And, and Lauren, where we're at with you is, you're one year away from being in remission.
3: Basically, yeah. So I'm um, yes. diagnosed. Yeah, I know, it's mad. So it's really, it's a weird space to be in because I diagnosed, both Deborah and I were diagnosed five years ago this year. Um, obviously, I now live cancer-free. is still in treatment every day, li- living a full, thriving life as best she can with the disease. And we're both on these very different paths. And I'm, an, I'm in the place now where I'm five years since diagnosis, but next year, touch wood, I'll be five years um, si- um, clear. If my scan next year is clear, then I can officially say that I am in remission. And it's such a weird spot because as much as in myself, I'm like this is it, like whatever. Like I don't really think too much about recurrence now because I can't live in that space. It's, it's a really hard space to be in. And I'm like, if it isn't happening, then don't worry about it right now. But also I know from so many people in our community, people that are our friends who have had breast cancer and then four years down the line, it's come back. I also know that as much as it's looking good, nothing is guaranteed. So it's jugg- juggling that kind of almost a bit of a relief, but it's... I don't know if you can ever breathe. My friend referred yesterday to um, Cancerous Hotel California. You can leave, but you can never check out. And I do feel like (laughs) that is a bit of it, you know? So I'm very excited and very privileged to be coming up to five years since diagnosis, living cancer free, and also the prospect of if the cancer stays away for the next year, that I will be in remission next year officially. It's, It's a funny space to tread. I feel very privileged, also quite anxious. Because I just, you know what life's like, life's a cheeky bugger and it it can all of a sudden rip that rug away again. So I know my privilege, I'm really grateful, also quite anxious about it.
5: Yeah. But you know what's really great about Lauren's story is I think, um, you know, yeah, I'm grateful to be alive. But I think when we look back at when we first started You, Me and the Big C, what I hope, and I know what Lauren hopes as well, is Mm -hmm. that most people who have come with us on our journey, I hate that word, but you know what I mean, for the last four to five years i hope that actually they've moved on from cancer i hope that yeah. in lauren's space and i hope that actually it proves where we are with research how much things have changed how important things like that are because mm-hmm. actually um, lauren's story is where we should be with cancer actually her statistics and her prognosis is mm-hmm. really good yeah um, and that is because of research that came before mm-hmm. Because of drugs that she was, she was yeah. on, you know, the treatment. Yeah. That she got. Mm-hmm. and she she can have a future, and I think actually yeah. that that in a way gives gives you know, it gives me hope, but it gives me hope mm. for my own kids, and it should give other people a lot of hope actually from hearing that story and saying actually I can move on from it, like it's fine, it's not. It's not
3: it's life changing? Yes, but it's not my life. Yes, that is that. That is it, isn't it?
4: That is it. And and Deb, even though you're living with stage four cancer, um, you know, an Instagram is 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 an often um, misleading beast at the best of times. Yeah. But to my mind, it looks that whilst you're living with cancer, it isn't your life.
0: Your yeah. life
4: is so much more than that. And you you laugh, you love, you get angry about the same things everybody else does. And then yes, you've got cancer, and and I'm, I don't mean to downplay that in any mm-hmm. way. But the, the lens that you allow us to look in, you know, that window you've opened into your world, I think is, uh, it really, it, it throws a real lens mm-hmm. on what it is to live with cancer. And, mm-hmm. you know, I applaud you for doing that because there must be days when you think, oh, sod off, I don't want to post anything. I don't want to share how my latest procedure went. Uh, you
5: know, okay, yes, I think yesterday definitely was like knackered, but then I kind of said to myself, God, oh, deborah you just had an operation two weeks ago. Mm. Three days after your operation, you were on the road doing a campaign, like, yeah, sort it out, love. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I think I do think, in terms of um, it, you realize though that you do have to um, get on with life, whatever life like, um, and yet yeah, life for me does look like talking about awareness or research but that's that's stuff I was passionate about before like yeah. in different platforms is what I was passionate about before so it's not massively different um but I think you have to get on with it don't you I think you know you need to survive in whatever way you can and um you know your climate might change rug is ripped from beneath your feet but you have to carry on because the alternative is rubbish Especially when you've got kids, yeah. you
4: know, and and, and they, they just go, I know you've got cancer, but where's my school bag? What's for dinner? And by yeah. the way, I hate you. So, <laughs> just
5: to give you. Just to give you a perspective, because when I was first diagnosed, and I think when people are first diagnosed, I'm not negating the enormity of it because it is huge. But I think when you're first diagnosed, everything, your whole world changes around you. It's like COVID, right? Everything yeah. changes around you and everything closes in, and everything mm. you do is about cancer, and everyone talks about cancer, and every conversation is how you about your cancer. And <laughs> then two weeks ago, I, um, my kids um, – I'm, I'm not painting my kids as people who don't care. They care very much. But it puts my cancer in the priority of where they are. So they went off to school on Monday. We had no, like, grand goodbyes. I'm not even sure they said goodbye to me. They normally, like, storm run out they're kind of, like, as kids do to get the, the school bus in the morning. My, my daughter calls me at 5.30 on my mobile. I've literally just come round from anaesthetic and I've just gone back into the ward. Okay, so I've literally just, you know when you're given your hospital bag back? Yeah. My phone goes off. Where's my daughter going? Are you picking me up today? And I went, i <laughs> yeah. I, I've literally just had an operation. She went, yeah, yeah, but uh, but are you picking me up? Well, <laughs> <laughs> like, no. Um, so then she said, "Well, um, who is that?" And I said, "Well, I think your dad is, but if not, um, you need to get the bus back. Um, can you call him?" And then she said, "Okay, but um, what's for dinner?" <laughs> 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 No, you, like, you just, so one of my first conversations having come around from the three-hour operation with an you know on an inoperable inoperable tumor wrapped around an artery was are you picking me up from school what's for dinner and then once i was actually staying in hospital it was it wasn't like for how long it was okay see you tomorrow then bye <laughs> i mean i know this is your 12th operation, but. Even that just seems,
4: you know, right. that, that, they're taking it more than in their stride. There, Debs. Yeah, they
5: are. I came with princessy, and when I came home, I mean, I was surprisingly well this time because I have gone You know, my my one Christmas, and um, I I was right at rock bottom uh, in terms of learning how to walk again. And this one, I've been surprisingly okay in terms of physical recovery. But I came home this time and I was like, look guys, I know we don't need to talk about my cancer and I'm not being a princess. However (laughs) I was just like (laughs) However, we do need to recognise that, you know, I can't just bounce back without a little bit of help. Yeah. I think we got pizza takeaway that night or something. I'm not really sure, but it was kind of there wasn't a big
3: brand gesture. I love that. And I can imagine her saying it as well, though I could just imagine the call.
5: (laughs) Well oh, yeah, she must have checked your Instagram
4: though, Deb, and seen that you'd loaded a picture of yourself drugged out of your tiny mind, yeah. rocking out to a song that only you could hear in your own head.
5: <laughs> <laughs> but it looked like you're having a great time.
4: Oh, I love
3: it. What's it that? I
5: can't remember what I was doing the other day. I was doing it in the sky, I think it was a sky thing. Um, I was talking about really serious, I was talking about nano knife and talking about the research, trying to be really serious about it. And all they showed for like two minutes behind me talking about research was me off my tits. Done. <laughs> 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 and the you know, was like, how can anyone take you seriously when you look like that? And you're trying to promote research and how great it is. And you're basically
4: off you're your- And you're like, head.
3: jazz hands. Like, yeah, yeah no, no, it
4: wasn't just Jess Hans. It was a proper air guitar, sort of like uh, she was really on the full LED zep. <laughs> it
0: was good stuff. They give you a little Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door.
2: Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow.
0: Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah. Plush. And the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's slash ACAST, code ACAST.
4: It's interesting that, you know, we t- we're talking about that the moments where you just have to laugh mm-hmm. and. And that is is pretty much something that stitches its way through anyone mm-hmm. who is living with cancer. Um, but lockdown, what's that done to people's mental health do you think if you are living with cancer? Yeah. Because you guys know better than most what it feels like to to have an eye on the clock in terms of yeah. life isn't a given. And And we've had a year where you've had to opt out. I mean, Lauren, you love travel. That's yeah. not been available to you. You wanted, mm. the last time we spoke, you were going to go out and get as much sex in the next twelve yeah. months as a woman could handle before cystitis kicks in. But what, you know, none of that happens. Yeah, I mean,
3: it's been, a, it's been a dry year. It's been a dry year, let's put it that way. And I do fear for the men of London, once I'm double-vaxxed and I'm out back in that world, oh my gosh. I think stand back, go, boys. Stand back. Woman orderly queue. I think is what I'll say. But I, we talked a lot when we went into lockdown, Deb and I, and like in the community about, for people who have had cancer prior to COVID, it felt a little bit like Groundhog Day. So when we went into to lockdown, it was, we, there was a mass anxiety of health, a mass health anxiety, people are scared for their health. Straight away, your life has changed, the rugs look from underneath you, you're at home, everything you know has changed. Your your capacity to earn money for a lot of people changed, you know, It and it was this whole new normal, as in there's a world that we do not know how this is going to, we have no idea how to navigate this. So for the cancer community, having, for me as someone who's had cancer before and literally came out of chemo two years before lockdown, I just adapted again. So for a lot of us being put back into that world was very triggering but then you've also got the other side of the community which i know deb could speak more on who were in treatment who are being diagnosed who are having to go and do this on their own people who, i never went to a chemotherapy on my own i never went to a hospital appointment on my own i never went to a surgery on my own when i was having bad days i could go and be with friends in between treatments i could go and sit with friends in the cafe or you know me and deb after a poll recording or stuff that deb's had done we'd go for a glass of wine and talk about things that connection and that support system is eradicated when you've gone through that. And I can't imagine what that would have been like. So, you know, for people's mental health in general during a pandemic is very isolating, very lonely. Our world has completely changed. There's a whole ad- adaption that needs to happen and a processing that is going to be very heavy for a lot of people. Adding the layer of cancer into the mix, it's very different. And and I I can't comment on what it's like to go through cancer treatment in a pandemic. But for those who were shielding, for those whose immune systems were down, it was, from what I know, a terrifying time. But I know Deb can speak more about it. Yeah.
5: But you're honest about your own uh, challenges with
3: mental health, aren't you, Laura?
5: Yeah, yeah. seems to people in terms of um, you're very honest and you'll say, I'm having a crap day today, actually.
3: Yeah, I've, I live with anxiety. I have for 10 years and it obviously manifests in different ways since cancer. But I think it's I, it's helpful to talk openly about it because it helps me to deal with it but it also shows people how it manifests in different ways. Um, but yeah, I, I talk really openly about my mental health with, it, with everything. But um, yeah, I can't imagine what my mental health would have been like if I would had to go and do the cancer thing alone.
5: It is a bit night and day actually in terms of the experience. Um, there's some positives and you rely very much on the staff around you and things like that. Um, but I remember when we first recorded about top tips to get you through chemo and stuff like that. I'm not saying any of them are... Um, I'm not saying they're irrelevant and they will become relevant again. But a lot of them was kind of these coping mechanisms that rely on the world being open and the world's not open. So, you know, we would be like exactly like Lauren said, take a friend to chemo. You can't take a friend to chemo. Like, and stuff that you never even thought would be a challenge like staying in the hospital on your own with someone like me is suddenly a challenge i mean everybody's in it together but you have no other option there is no choice Mm. Um, and actually next week um so where our podcast is going is to explore i suppose the areas that we all find ourselves in um a lot more. Yeah. Lauren's a bit annoyed because I've used it as an opportunity to chat with a couple of quite good looking blokes. Um,
3: yeah, thanks for that Deb. <laughs> We're gonna use it as as a new dating website.
5: Yeah Lauren was Debs, you're the married one. She was like, can you used it as an opportunity to chat people up? But no no, I've not really, they're both attached. <laughs> the next week I'm recording with a couple of boys um who are are on treatment right now, one of whom has been diagnosed during lockdown. Um, So that would be really interesting to hear from him about what is it like to have diagnosis and your first ever treatment in this situation. Mm -hmm. Um, And then another guy who's like me, we've seen both sides of the fence. Um, So yeah, it's challenging. Um, I would say for me, probably the opposite to Lauren, mental health wise, because my world is chaos and turmoil, and we spoke about this last time, I have found lockdown really calming and really uh, kind of grounding. Um, and I've, I'm actually more worried about the world opening up.
3: Well, yeah, at
4: least your FOMO was kind of put to rest, wasn't it?
3: Yeah, one of the girls in my community actually said that to me. I was like, how has it been? She went, the one thing that's been a saving grace is, Being a young woman in your late 20s and, and, you know, when getting cancer treatment, a big thing I struggled with mental health wise during my treatment was the world, my world was put on pause. But in my early 30s, when everyone's going off, meeting people, traveling, career progression, all of those usual stuff, that's on pause. The one good thing that I've heard from the community is that for those who are going through this experience in lockdown, actually, Everything was on pause. So there wasn't really a FOMO. Like there wasn't, they weren't missing out on the world because the world was stopped.
4: The world has stopped, but then is there not a part of you that thinks, hang on a minute, I've already put my life on hold for treatment yes. and every year is precious, every day is precious. Like bollocks to this, I'm not going to be told to stay home,
3: although we had to be. I was really upset, mate. Yeah, I, I think at the start of lockdown, and I, I, I'm wondering if Deb's feeling the same. Like I right, have started lockdown. It was very triggering. I was found myself being quite angry and resentful that I was in this position again, where your whole world just completely stops, having to go through health anxiety, having to go through the process of a new normal, like adapting to a new world, like what? I've already done that just as, like, just as recent as two years ago. Mm. And like not being able to date, like I'm 36 now, and it's like I want to go out into the world. I want to meet people. I want to progress my career. I want to. I want to have loads of lovely sex and meet men and like maybe find a partner. That has all stopped. Like there's, there was none of that. And I did really, really, really struggle with that. Also, being away from my family, I really struggled with because mm. my family are my anchor. Especially since cancer, we talk a lot about it on the pod and on my social. My family are my everything. So being away from my sister and the kids, missing such big parts of their development. All of that stuff I just felt quite angry about because, you know, this is a time we won't get back. And for both Deb and I as well, you know, these are, Deb, these are precious time for Deb as well, knowing like, you know, we don't know what the future holds and, and Deb having not been able to go out and live a full full life. But also we had friends that sadly didn't make it out the other side of lockdown. And it made me so angry that they spent the last three months of their lives mm-hmm. rather than going out and ticking off bucket lists, traveling, visiting people, doing the things getting to say the goodbyes even for us as friends not being able to say the goodbyes we wanted to yeah it really is a hard pill to swallow and it's the effect of covid isn't just covid it is so much wider and I think those in the cancer community have probably felt it in an impactful way that maybe a lot of other people won't it has had real real massive ripple effect not just on treatment across the board for the cancer community it really has yeah, I hear you.
4: I hear you. And, and you know, as the world starts to open up now, we need to really get behind all of the cancer charities mm-hmm. because without research,
3: mm-hmm.
4: uh, we we just can't beat cancer in the way that we want. That ambition will never be fulfilled unless we have people's cash, resources. And and that's pretty, I mean, I'm being really basic, but that's mm. what we need, right? And yeah. As much as the world stopped, so has fundraising because people haven't been able to run the marathons Mm. and do the fundraising activities that that they do. And that brings that community together. But those charities still need that money. So, how can people help? What can they do as we sit and talk here today? Well, it goes without saying.
5: We know, for example, with Cancer Research UK that they've had to cut spending on research. Mm. Why? Because there was no money in the budget, there's no money coming in. On fundraising, there's no money coming in. The thing that breaks my heart, and I know in the Queen's speech she has pledged to rectify this, and I think Cancer Research UK is supportive of it. But the reality is that, considering we've had a year championing science and how great it is in terms of finding us a cure for COVID, um, I find it absolutely outrageous that the budget for um, science funding was then cut, uh, which I think is. Hideous, considering that's exactly what has given us all so much hope. Yeah. Um, The thing that I think we can do as a community is to recognise that charities like um, Stand Up to Cancer, So, that ultimately funds research within Cancer Research UK, it is literally saving lives and um, I wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for research and um, one of my biggest fears for the last 18 months uh, funny enough I say 18 or well, 15 months it hasn't been my not being able to go out on holiday it hasn't been kind of oh I can't see my mates I mean I love my mates but um, you know what it's given me is time with my kids but what it's put the fear in me it is will I have options available to me you know every time my cancer grows I want to know it's not the beginning of the end yeah and the only way I can know that is because there is an option available and we know that during COVID unfortunately at first clinical trials were put on hold and then they have slowly got back up to the levels that they were but you know anybody who works within the field will tell you how far behind and how much extra effort i think everybody's determined to get it back up to the level it needs to be but it needs 110 percent rather than just 100 to get us up to where um, so i think it's it's just a drive moving forward in terms of recognizing that actually we can't rely on um central funding to make it happen and actually sadly even in this climate we do need to ask people to kind of put their hands in their pockets mm. and times are pretty tough and kind of say actually no This is where we we do need to make a difference and we need to support our charities.
4: You're right. It's a total insanity that science has saved us and Mm -hmm. we're cutting spending on science and medical research. That is, when you put it like that, Debs, you just go, what?
5: I wanted Mm -hmm. to write about it more, but I find it amazing that it didn't really get the pickup or the headlines that I I know charities were trying really hard to to get those headlines for it. uh, Cancer Research UK being one of them. Um, but it kind of just went under the radar that it was like, oh, yeah. It did, because I didn't know about that. It it was kind of like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. And I think the Queen's Speech has um, not rectified it, but committed a little bit towards it. Um, But what that looks like in funding, um, I don't know. I remember sitting down with um, uh, a couple of people who were involved in big institutions like the Francis Francis Crick Institute, who... Which obviously cancer research UK are heavily involved in. Mm-hmm. And they themselves as an institute very much supported the vaccine. You know, it's kind of like if we don't get this sorted, we can't move on and, and do anything else. And yet I remember having a, a conversation with them saying we're currently desperately trying to find money to to meet our budgets. And it you know I, I find that outrageous actually um and I think well, I'm quite happy to to tell people about that. And I know CRUK would, would be kind of, a, you know, they're, they're probably hitting that they feel like they're
4: hitting their head against a brick wall sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's atrocious, really. Mm-hmm. It's negligent, actually. When yeah. you think about what we've spent on track and trace and that didn't work. And, you know, when people go, well, there isn't the money. Well, we've seen in the last 15 months, there's always money if it's needed. Oh, it's oh, about yeah. separating out want versus need. And actually, need is need is here now for medical research to keep pouring into those charity coffers to keep that coming because you're right Deb I wouldn't be talking to you right now because you would not be here without that research Lauren you wouldn't be here
3: absolutely not the drugs that I had I was on antibody drugs that are now common to be used in breast cancer but five years ago I was at the Marsden being like having them done and I was like only like a second run of people getting them done and it's, yeah. and that's because of science. This funding and research from Cancer Research UK, from Stand Up to Cancer, fund people to create these drugs to save lives. It's so important. So
4: important. Mm. I think one thing we learned in, the, in this last 15 months is we know what's important now. Medicine, science are important. Look what happened when the world stopped trying to attach a profit to finding a vaccine and just pulled their resources Oh. And everybody shared intel. Everybody shared learnings. And look
3: at where we are. Can yeah. we not have a little bit more of that, please? Can we keep I know. that going? I, do you know what? Can I say something as well? I When, like, furlough is a wonderful thing, a wonderful, wonderful thing. But when the whole country started getting paid 80% furlough, I was like, how then comes that I was living off £50 a week during cancer treatment and my friends had to throw me a fundraiser to keep me in my home? Because there is no financial support for the cancer community like that. And it just made me, like you said, where there's a need and a will, we can find that money. It's so much bigger even than re, than science as well. There's like all these other lifestyle factors that we've seen that can, we can support people in other ways if if the want and the need is there.
4: And you're, you're absolutely right, Lauren. Why the hell should you have to resort to crowdfunding to be able to live through treatment yeah. and not be evicted from your home?
3: And I'm someone who doesn't have dependents. I'm someone who has like my family in London. I could go home. I'm someone who's like young, like I am i don't have kids, I don't have a mortgage, you know, imagine what it, the impact it has. It just, it got my brain ticking a lot. I think the stuff that's happened in science, in terms of support, like in furlough and stuff, it's been amazing, but it did make me stroke my little chinny chin chin and go, hmm, interesting. Mm. So we can do these things, can we? So I think, yeah, I think we, and I, I think that's something Deb and I will continue to fight for now we can see that it's possible. We need to make sure it is happening.
5: Could you imagine? And this is, um, you know, I'm going to say something quite morbid, so anybody that's listening, um, you know, just uh, I'm just warning you about this. This year, um, we know the numbers. Every single day, we had a countdown of the numbers of people that were sadly dying from COVID. Um, if we had that for cancer... Um, people will realise that sadly more people died from cancer this year than of COVID mm-hmm. and I appreciate if we didn't lock down the numbers would be very different on COVID we know that, okay, fine but at the, the at the same time we're about to open up as a world okay? and over the next 12 months um, on average, so according to Cancer Research UK on average around 165,000 people will die each year on average in the UK from cancer and um, the world hasn't stopped for that and that's what's really, it makes, as somebody who sees the impact on a day to day basis, it makes me really angry because I know that there's incredibly, incredibly passionate people who, who could do amazing things if they were given the resources to do so.
4: Yeah. But it's not just money we need. It's it's voices, it's volunteers, it's guinea pigs in trials. You know, like Lauren's, like mm-hmm. Lauren did five years ago, so that those treatments become commonplace. Um, so there's so many ways in which you can help. Mm. Please be part of this. Please come and help. Thank you, ladies. I always love talking to you. Thank you so much. That's it for this week. A huge thanks to Debs and to Lauren for waving the flag and furiously supporting the brilliant work of Stand Up To Cancer. If you'd like to get involved, giving your time, donating money, or becoming a fundraiser, head over to their website. All details can be found there. It's standuptocancer.org.uk. As I said at the top of the show, we have not touched a drop during the making of this episode for the very reason that there is a proven link to alcohol causing cancer. As always, the show is produced by me, Kate Thornton, with Richard Hatherall and Libby Knowles for Yahoo UK. And our music is provided by Andy Bell. We'll be back with a brand new episode and business as usual on Friday. In the meantime, if you would like to rate and review us, don't let me stop you. We love it when you do. It truly helps other people to find and discover the show. And don't forget, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at WhitewineQT. QT. I'll see you next week.